Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, November 24, 2019. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and he and I were both in buildings watching nationally ranked teams this weekend. I watched number 16 Memphis beat Ole Miss 87-86 on Saturday inside FedEx Forum. Five-star freshman Precious Achua was spectacular. He got 25 points, 11 rebounds, three blocks, two steals in 32 minutes. And I suppose I could tell you more about it, but I feel like we spent enough time on Memphis in recent podcasts. So let's just focus here at the top on the game Norlander attended Sunday afternoon. Hall of Fame tip-off at the Mohegan Sun Arena. Final score number seven, Virginia 48, Arizona State 45. The Cavaliers scored in the 40s and won for the second time this season. They led by 10 early but then trailed by nine with less than 14 minutes left. So that was quite the turn of events. But Arizona State only scored 10 points in the final 13-32. So Virginia comes back and wins 48-45 to improve to 6-0. Worth noting, Tony Bennett's Cavaliers now have a 12-game winning streak dating back to last season. So Norlander, before I get your thoughts on Virginia's win over Arizona State, trivia time! Okay, let's do it. Opening two-minute trivia time. Okay, so like I said, Virginia now has got a 12-game winning streak dating to last season. And the Cavaliers are 41-3. and 41-3 since they lost to UMBC in the opening round of the 2018 NCAA tournament. 41-3. It's okay. incredible. So here's the question. Who, Who handed to? Virginia those three losses, the only three losses in Virginia's past 44 games? Okay. Uh, tour to Duke. Am I right there? Yes, because I was at one and you were at the other. That's correct. One of the one of the uh, one of the ones that w- was Duke was the was the Zion amazing. The most memorable Zion highlight of his season was dunked on Jay Huff. What? Well, yeah, no, no, no. But then it was it was the block. I remember, it was the block in the corner. I think of actually Diakite. Maybe my my mind's tricking me, but the Zion like recovery block at UVA last year when LeBron was in the house was his like was one of his most memorable highlights until he blew out his shoe. Okay, so, okay, so, so there was two. So then he also had one at Cameron. That's the game I was at. Yes. And I think that was the dunk on Jayhawk. That's correct. That's correct. Um, so since they fell to UMBC, they've lost three times. All three were last season. So lost to Duke there. Lost to Duke uh, there. And then... Um, so they didn't win the ACC tournament. I know that because R.J. Barrett was sporting his. No, I guess yeah, he was he was sporting his. I Duke got the one seed because they won the ACC tournament. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. So Virginia lost to who? You know what? Off the top of my head, I think Virginia got beat in the ACC tournament by Florida State. Am I right? You are correct, Boom. sir. It was. 2019 ACC tournament semifinals. Virginia was 5 of 24 from three, lost 69 59, but they have not lost since. Very good. That's a nice. I got more trivia times coming, but you did well <laughs> uh, on question number one. Okay, let's get to the game. Yeah. What did you think of what was uh, yet another low scoring Virginia victory? Yet another low scoring one, indeed. Um, it was as entertaining as a. I, Parrish, I, I, I genuinely believe this. This was as entertaining of a game as you could ask for between two teams that didn't get to 50 points. Virginia's insane. How about this? So I'll just, this is a fact. I'm not even going to trivia time you on this. Mm-hmm. Virginia has won seven consecutive November tournaments. So for the past seven seasons, dating back to the Emerald Cloak. 
Emerald Coast Classic, the Charleston Classic, the Barclays Center Classic, the Corpus Christi Challenge, the NIT sip season tip-off. They won last season uh, at the Battle for Atlantis, and now this one was technically the Air Force Reserve tip-off tournament for the Hall of Fame. Regardless, Tony Bennett in November tournaments has been outstanding. Um, they have held opponents under fewer 50 than 50 points, 94 times under Tony Bennett. It's absurd. And right now, this is the best defensive team in America uh, in terms of both points per game. They're at 40, uh, 42.6. And uh, in terms of defensive efficiency at Ken Palm, uh, 79.2 points allowed per 100 possessions. I think I mentioned it a couple of episodes ago. I it's hard to envision how that can possibly maintain. That would be by far and away the best defense in the history of the Ken Palm era. Like it's not even close if they were able to pull that off and admit admits doing all of this, they still maintain the, uh, the slowest overall adjusted tempo in college basketball. I will note a couple of weird things in this game. Arizona state went on a 19, nothing run from the end of the first half into the second half. Uh, Parrish, you give me .5 over-under teams that go on a 19-0 run against Virginia the rest of this season. I'm easily taking the under. Uh, I'd have a hard time believing any team is going to even get to a 15-0 run on Virginia given the way that it plays defense. But I guess if you wanted to encapsulate Virginia, Tony Bennett, this team, this roster, this season, it's I think it really is the only team capable of getting uh, being a victim to a 19-0 run not scoring a point, period, for 9 minutes and 43 seconds, failing to get to 50 points, and still winning the game. That's exactly what Virginia... Like, if you take all of those elements and put them together, Parrish, 352 out of 353 teams are losing that game 99% of the time. With Virginia, it's a better than a 50% proposition. It's insane. Offensive Dude, you don't even have to like get into those many that many details. If you just said this, the team will be the victim of a 19-0 run and only score 48 points. It's like you can't win that. There's no way to win that game, except Virginia did it. Exactly. It's it, it's fairly absurd. I will note, by the way, um, it, they didn't just win with defense, but they were fortunate in that the freshman, uh, Casey Morsell, he had a career-high 19, played well. Uh, you know, Note the name now because I'm thinking two years – like if Morsell, I think he's an NBA guy before he's four years through uh, in Charlottesville. I'm thinking maybe after his junior year, he might be good to go. He is, if he can develop into a reliable offensive weapon, really show that he's got a shot, uh, as in like a shot shot. Um, he's got a he's got a great shot at becoming an NBA player. I really like what uh, what they're getting out of him. Um, Diakite made a key block late, uh, but yeah, just impressive on the Virginia side. They remain undefeated. Um, was uh, sitting next to Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu at this game, and he was—he kind of just said, matter of fact, he's like, uh, "Okay, Virginia's going to win the ACC again," and it is starting to feel like that already. I mean, I saw Duke in the Garden on Friday; they were able to hold off Georgetown in a great game, a great environment. But I do like Virginia more than I like Duke right now, and I know that you have Duke ahead of Virginia in your top twenty-five and one rankings, and that's justified given where you had the Wahoos at the start of the season, and Duke and Duke is yet to lose as well. But defensively, I mean, Virginia's just. Paris, they're absurd, and I, I know that they've got issues on offense, and they do, and they have one glaring one. I'll, I'll mention this, and I'll lob it back to you. Um, they don't shoot from three well at all. Right now, they're twenty three point seven percent. They were twenty two point five heading into the Arizona State game, and 
while they're very different teams, you know, the one thing that I think we kind of beat into the ground last season with the Duke team that was considered the most dangerous at its best was that it had a significant Achilles heel and that it was the worst three-point shooting team of the past 25 years under Mike Krzyzewski. This Virginia team is abnormally bad from three-point land. I, I do have, you know, hesitations about Virginia's chances to repeat as hard as that is overall if it's not going to be able to creep up even into like the 28 or 29 percent range pairs because if you're that poor like if you're if you're if you're shooting less than 25 percent from three-point range that's going to be trouble just as Duke last year when they were bad they were 30.8 percent on the season Virginia's significantly worse so that's clearly the biggest glaring issue with the team right now this is exactly where I wanted to take it next because they are terrific uh, defensively and they never they never score you know they're never going to go out and, and, and get in the 80s i mean and so people sometimes um look at points scored by virginia see an unusually n- low number and then say oh they're terrible offensively but that's not the truth always sometimes they're very good offensively very efficient offensively they just there's no possessions in the game they play at such a slow tempo the truth is this um you know, last year they were number two in offensive efficiency. Four years ago, they were number eight in offensive efficiency. So two of the past four years, they've been top eight in offensive efficiency. This is normally a good basketball program um, on both ends of the court, including the offensive end of the court. Not true right now. They're unbelievable defensively. Points allowed in games so far this season, 34, 34, 42, 55, 46, 45. But offensively, uh, they're, they're 66th in adjusted offensive efficiency uh, right now. And if that holds, uh, it'll be the worst offensive team that Tony's had since the 2012-13 team. And that team lost 12 times and went to the NIT. That was the last time Virginia missed the NCAA tournament. Now, I'm, there, I don't think there's any scenario Tony Bennett with a defensive team like this is going to the NIT. But it is hard to do the things that I'm sure he wants to do with this, with this team when you're that that bad on the offensive end obviously it's early I'm sure they'll get I would assume they'll get better but they're not shooting it at all they're not efficient at all and it's why um, they're gonna have to guard like this to be good teams because they they're gonna have trouble scoring yeah no doubt and um, like Jay Huff hasn't shot the three as much as I thought he might to this point in the season has only taken six uh, three-pointers more sales he's had the, he's had the green light as much as anyone he's taken 26 Kihei Clark's taken 24 um, but Morcel is just he, he's he, he's 11.5% from three he is again that's that's the biggest thing with him in terms of what he's gonna uh, what he can grow into or will grow into in terms of a pro prospect Kihei Clark at 33.3% um, uh, just a quick, you know, I don't know if you have anything else on Virginia, but just while we're on the topic, I'll just say give credit to Arizona for playing, uh, I guess, relatively as well as it did. See, Arizona is the kind of team that it 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 tried its damnedest, Parrish, to to speed Virginia up. I mean, that's ultimately obviously a losing proposition, but still, if you're if you're a coach like Bobby Hurley that wants to get Virginia as much as you can out of whack, you're going to try and try and try. It worked for a little while there. Now, Remy Martin, I mean. He really is your kind of player, Parrish, and I don't just mean that because he's he's relatively diminutive. I mean he is just he has <laughs> he has a lot of idgaf about him. I don't give a you know what, um, and it can pay off in big ways. I mean he did wind up with twenty one here. Um, I talked with Bobby Hurley after the game. He said uh, there is some risk with his style, but the rewards are really rewarding. So. 
I, for Arizona State, I don't know if this is an NCAA tournament team or not, but I didn't think that it was going to wind up being within 10 points of Virginia in this game. I was thinking it was going to be along the lines of like a 58-44 kind of Virginia win. It stayed close, had a, a, a three-pointer block near the end. It got a lead. Um, so credit to Arizona State, which is 3-2 and two right now, doesn't have a signature win. It's going to play, get this, it's going to play at Princeton on Tuesday, and then it's going to play at San Francisco, back to back road games against mid major teams. And by the way, this is even like how I praised Roy Williams last year when he played two back to back road games. Those were like bus trips for North Carolina. The Princeton, I mean, these are flights you're getting on. So uh, Hurley said he's never ran from kind of you know scheduling ambitiously like this. I don't yet know what Arizona State's going to be, but I will say this. They will be fun, and I guarantee you, Parrish, if we are later in the year when we get to Pac-12, if we're picking you know, for our five for the weekend kind of deal and we're picking the Sun Devils, I think they're going to be one of the hardest teams to read because they've got a lot of good about them defensively. I'm not sure how great they'll be, but they are nonetheless entertaining. I think they'll be one of the wilder teams in college hoops this season. The last thing I wanted to note on Virginia is something you just touched on, and that's the pace at which their games always are played at. It's unbelievable the way it doesn't matter how you play. They make you play the way they play. Um, you know, I, like, I, I, I watched the game on television. You were in the building. But, like, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm watching the game. I'm doing something else, but then watching the game. And you look up, and it's 15 to 10 with five minutes to go in the first half. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, well, of course. Of yeah. course it's 15 to 10 with five minutes to go in the first half. And so with this in mind, because it, like Arizona State does not want to play uh, uh, however many possessions there were in the game. They don't want to play that many. Bobby doesn't want to do that. Yeah. And most coaches, when you get into a game with them, you don't want to play at that pace, and you've got these ideas, okay, this is what we're going to do to try to speed them up a little bit, and it just doesn't work. So with this in mind, I texted an ACC coach um, earlier today, and I said, hey, just, just help me understand from your perspective. This is somebody who has to scout for them every season. I said, um, wh- why do you always in? Why is it very difficult, if not impossible, to get Virginia to play faster? To get Virginia to play um, at a pace that that would be uncomfortable for them? And here's what he told me. He told me two things. I thought this was interesting. He said, first off, it's easier to dictate pace by your defense than it is by your offense, and so that is that's what they do, and they're they're the best at it. They're great at it. He said the other thing is they make you really work, um, you know, the, the other thing under this umbrella. He said they make you really work offensively. It's just, he says, hard to get shots against them early in the shot clock unless you beat them down the floor. Like you get into transition and beat them down the floor and score in transition. He said, but even that's hard to do because none of their guards ever try to offensive rebound, mm. ever. Shot goes up, guards get back. So even if you grab it, it's you, you're not beating them down the court. And if you can't beat them down the court, they make it hard to get a shot early, and now you're in a low-possession game. He said beyond that, even when you pressure them, because that's the first thing people try to do. They'll say, hey, listen, we're going we're gonna to try to pressure them, make them throw the ball around. Um, you know, Then they'll get transition opportunities maybe or open looks early. And what usually happens to teams is then they try to take them, and those teams, they go, well, I can't pass up this open shot, or I can't pass up this good look, or I can't pass up the opportunity to score in transition. So now you've got them sped up a little bit. He said they just will not do it. They will not take shots early in the shot clock. Like you can you can press pressure them to, to get them to, to speed it up and even give them an early look, and they just will pass on it. They will not take shots early in the shot clock. And so, um, you know, and, and this is a coach who's had, you know, relative success against Virginia. And he was like, they're, they're, they're committed to what they do, 
and they do it fantastically, and it doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter the roster turnover. Like this Virginia team, in terms of the the players in the uniforms, doesn't look much like last year's Virginia team. But in terms of what they do on the defensive end, it's exactly the same. And what they do in terms of pace and controlling pace and tempo, it's exactly what they do. Yeah, it's right on the money. I mean, it's it's, and what's wilder is it's way way easier said than done. Because if this kind, well, first of all, this kind of style is not for everyone in terms of the players you want to recruit. I get all that, um, but if you're the kind of coach that's built to want to try and play like this and play a slower style, um, to have <laughs> to have these kind of results overwhelmingly, like more than 85% of the time, go in your favor, uh, it's absurd. And, and given what Virginia lost last season, um, you know, I'm glad we opened by talking. Not just because I was at the game, but you know. Virginia is now approaching nearly 25% of its resume that will be under evaluation when we get to Selection Sunday. Right? You know, it's 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 six games through. It's it's six and zero, oh, and it's gotten you know a couple of genuine pushes from Vermont, who I th- which I think will be in the NCAA tournament in Arizona, which I don't know if it will or won't be, but if it is, I won't be surprised. Um, and in spite of that, it's just the the defense just looks even better than last season. So just a reminder: these are the reigning national champions, and just a reminder: uh, literally more times than not in the in the past six seasons. Since Virginia has had uh, the best run in the ACC of any program here. So we could well be heading toward that. Just a matter of the three-point shooting, whether they can get on the straight and narrow, uh, or at least straighter than what they have been. If they can't, then yes, obviously, I think that will be an issue. And if they're going to be playing in these kind of games that are you know so much lower-tempoed, then that's going to get in, tr- in trouble. And you you asked how many uh, possessions. Uh, Sunday said 57 as a comparison. The previous four games Arizona State had played, 83, 79, 84, 75, and a drop down to 57. I mean... That's like sitting in a sauna and stepping out into the to the midfall air there. That's a that's a drastic change of pace for Arizona State, which obviously would prefer to get uh, many more runs in than what they did on Sunday. All right, let's move on to another game because the only game this weekend between two teams ranked in the AP poll, um, it happened uh, on Sunday afternoon. It was number seventeen Villanova against number twenty four Baylor. It's the title game of the Myrtle Beach Invitational. Baylor wins it eighty seven seventy eight, largely because it was eleven of nineteen from three. That's fifty seven point nine percent. That's excellent. Bears are now five and one. Lone loss is a one possession loss on a neutral court to Washington. So Scott Drew, it, it appears at least, is on on the path to the NCAA tournament for the sixth time in a seven-year span, and it is one of my favorite college basketball stories, and I feel like we touch on it at least three times every season. We do, but, <laughs> but we the, can, yeah, let's play the hits again. The way Scott Drew turned into one of the most inconsistent winners in the sport, because earlier in his career at Baylor, it was an incredible rebuilding job, first of all, you know, he's dealing with NCAA sanctions, uh, a player murdered another player, all right, so like, it's funny when you thought, when you, it's not funny, I don't mean to say it's funny, but like, when you think of what other NCAA scandals are, mm-hmm. like, um, well, you know, Silvio DeSosa's guardian might have gotten $2,500, it's like, at Baylor, a dude shot another dude, all time. yep, like, so, so that's what he was taking over, I don't think anybody starts winning their quickly but it was bad for a while i think first four seasons in the big 12 he was 12 and 52 and everybody got their jokes off like he was in over his head and he has turned that around which is amazing independent of anything else but he's i i you can if you're putting together a list of the most consistent winners in college basketball 
Uh, Scott Drew's got to be on it somewhere. Yeah, it, again, now Baylor was expected, uh, just a reminder, okay, it, it was expected to be a top three team in the Big 12. It's glad to see, it's good to see Baylor get this kind of win to validate that. Um, Baylor had brutal, uh, it's, had, it's had brutal eligibility and injury issues over the past two seasons. Now, the Bears got into the tournament last season in spite of that with a nine seed. Uh, two years ago, I mean, Scott Drew was bailing water by the week. Uh, only won 19 games, only in quotations there. Otherwise, uh, from 2014 on, you know, it's the six seed, three seed, five seed, three seed, nine seed last season. Um, and then if you go even further back, there were a couple of Elite Eight runs overall. So, yeah, Baylor is looking. I mean, it's looking the part right now. You get a win like this, big game, neutral court game against a Villanova team that could wind up being the best team in the Big East overall. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a significant development uh, for Baylor, who we have not seen the last of a non-conference. You know, when we talk about some of these teams that are in that top 25, top 30 range overall, um, you know, they'll drift off our radar for three or four weeks because just a, a simple... Um, function of the schedule parish obviously like if you're a top 25 team and you're playing on ranked teams and you're kind of beating them as expected there's not much reason to talk about you baylor's the, the opposite i mean they they're going to get arizona at home in a, in a matter of a week and a half here they're going to play butler as well um so i i i i'm eager to see what more this team will do uh top 15 at ken palm and yeah i just uh, it's scott drew and what he's been able to do has just not it really in the in the grand scope of it is it's not nothing short of incredible like overall like so many other guys if they had taken that job understandably might not have lasted four or five or six years he's going on well over a decade and has established Baylor to the point where its fan base uh, pretty much 75% of the time is expecting to get to the NCAA tournament if you really step back and look and for Baylor like Baylor to do that like a really impressive job and a fantastic win over what I think will be a very quality Villanova team by the end of the season it actually is exactly 75% over the past 12 years. Uh, the 12 and 52 in the Big 12 in his first four seasons, eight NCAA tournaments in the past 12 uh, seasons. So that is not 75%. I apologize. <laughs> okay. It's all right. You know what? You mentioned how we like we go into this like two or three times a year. It's like it's like 10 or 12 times a year that you miss you miss out on good math. So I actually I like that you're keeping that up with us. Uh, eight, eight. Oh. Oh, do you know what geez. that is? Do you know what percentage that is? Do you know what 8 out of 12 is? Eight out of twelve would be. Come is on. that sixty six? There we go. Sixty six point six repeating. If you want to be of, exact. Of course, right. Um, it's the old. It's the old two out of three, uh, which is uh, vastly different than three out of four. But whatever, you get the point. Eight <laughs> NCAA tournaments in the past twelve seasons. Four Sweet Sixteens, two Elite Eights, and here's the other thing that's interesting about it. One of the reasons people got their jokes off early, um, it was first because like they were 12 and 52 in the Big 12 first four yeah. seasons. And then he was recruiting at an extremely high level, like five-star this and five-star that, and wasn't doing what people thought you were supposed to do with that level of talent. And now he doesn't really get players like that anymore. Like they're not recruiting. Scott doesn't recruit at the level now that he recruited at very early in his career, and yet the results are still rock solid. So you can go up and down that Baylor roster. I don't know how many of them were uh, five-star recruits or even four-star recruits, and I don't know how many of them are going to play in the NBA, but there's a damn good college basketball team, and Baylor is consistently a damn good college basketball team. It's impressive stuff. It is. Um, as for Nova in the loss, I mean – I wouldn't be too concerned overall. Now, they had the blowout against Ohio State. 
I don't know if we ever actually wound up talking about that on the podcast because I think it fell on a weird time with the, within the news cycle. There's probably some Wiseman stuff we were talking about. Um, but a reminder that Nova heading into this game was a top five offense uh, in terms of, of efficiency at Ken Palm. Uh, has a loss against Ohio State and then a loss against Baylor. Was able to beat Mississippi State. So overall, you know, Nova's one and two against power conference teams and will not play another one until it hosts Kansas almost a month from now on December 21st. Um, you know, there's, a, I guess, a quasi-interesting game against Penn in there. But uh, but Nova's another one of those teams like, it got some run here. Let's just see Brian Antoine's back after not knowing when he would be available. Brian Antoine, a freshman who I think will be uh, a quality player by the end of the season. He's in the mix. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is a freshman who has actually looked better on the whole than I thought he would to start the season. So I, I trust, uh, you know, the Villanova enterprise, if you will. But uh, last year it dropped two games, you might recall. See, losing two out of the first six is not common in recent seasons, obviously. Last season, Nova wound up getting good, but you'll remember they got beat, they got bludgeoned by Michigan, and then they dropped that game against Furman, um, which was aberrational because prior to that, I mean, literally the previous, what, seven seasons, they had not lost more than one game in their first six. So Nova's taken an unusual back-to-back seasons here worth a couple of hiccups, but I'm not concerned about them. I still think that they're going to clearly look like, you know, four seed at worst when we get to Selection Sunday. Jay Wright coached in a hoodie. Can't be that. <laughs> Parrish, it is so funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking about this while I was at the Virginia game uh, earlier on Sunday. Um, so the entire Virginia coaching staff, they had matching outfits, actually. It was it was an orange Virginia shirt and then the slacks. It wasn't like Tony was like, hey, guys, just pack your whatever khakis you got. No, they were the exact same like cut and color. So they straight up had their, their own little uniform. It was kind of bizarre. But I kind of like that look for college basketball coaches on the sideline, the you know, basically a, a nice pair of slacks, and then what we see the coaches in when they're recruiting every summer. I got—I don't have an issue with coaches wearing ties and shirts and all that stuff, but I, th- I feel like that's—I'm hearing more and more like, why do these college basketball coaches got to wear these full-on suits? If they want to, I don't mind, but I actually think it works really well. Like baseball managers look ridiculous. We've—we've we've come to completely agree on this. Football guys are wearing whatever is weather appropriate, and NBA and college basketball—it's more like wear the suit thing. So it's—it's it's just interesting you mentioned the hoodie might be a little too lax, although if you're Jay Wright, you can wear whatever the hell you want. But I kind of dig the little less casual, but still, you know, sartorially appropriate look. I thought Bennett and them nailed it. And then obviously Wright takes it to a next level with the hoodie. The um, Mickey Calloway, now former manager of the New York Mets, managed in a hoodie a lot. Like he would have a hoodie, a Mets hoodie on over his uniform, which I thought was a good look. I'm, you know me. I, I think every picture I've ever taken with you, I'm in a hoodie. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm, I'm pro hoodie all the time. Um, I, I am ant. I'm not anti-suit, but I think coaches, when they look a little more relaxed on the sideline, even if it's just no tie, you know, suit, no tie, Mm -hmm. or nice collared shirt, and then if you want to take it really down a level, hoodie, like I'm fine with it, Um, I, I, I like it. And so, shouts to Jay Wright. Now, it's possible nobody else could pull it off, like Jay Wright could pull it off. You know, Jay could like be in a tank top and look great. He's Jay Wright for crying out loud. But um, look sharp, Jay. You look sharp in your hoodie if you're listening. Uh, Shouts to you. All right, so it's still early in the season, obviously, but this freshman class has been awesome so far. I don't know if you noticed. We're going to get into that next, but first, uh, check this out. 
y'all. Chip Patterson here from the Cover 3 Podcast on CBS Sports. While spring practice might be off, Barton Simmons, Tom Fernelli, and I are full go with springtime team previews on the Cover 3 Podcast. We're talking depth charts, position battles, and the storylines that will become key talking points when the season finally does arrive. We'll break down each and every Power 5 conference by division, plus the group of five schools that hope to crash the playoff picture in 2020. In addition to the springtime team previews, we're continuing off-season staples like the Mailbag, Cover 3 Book Club, and conversations with guests from around the college football world. Episodes are coming twice a week, so download and subscribe to the Cover 3 Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. There are no sports going on right now. None. I never imagined times like this happening, but here we are. And because we're all in this together, nothing personal with David Sampson carries on. We will carry on every Monday through Friday. We will keep breaking down this widespread and lasting impact of the coronavirus and provide updates and insight on these unprecedented events. I mean, in my 18 years as president of a Major League Baseball team, I saw some crazy stuff but nothing quite like COVID-19. It's brought the live sports world to its knees. And I promise to decode the BS in sports, and that's never been more true than right now. You need to know what's happening. Download and subscribe to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever else podcasts are found. And remember, it's just business. It's nothing personal. So there is no Zion Williamson in this freshman class. There might not even be an RJ, but the high-profile freshmen have mostly been awesome so far. Let's run through a few of them real quick just to make sure people properly understand exactly what these high-profile first-year players have been doing. The number one ranked recruit in the country, according to 24-7 Sports, that was James Wiseman. He's obviously suspended right now by the NCAA, but before he got suspended, he was awesome. 19.7 points, 10.7 rebounds, 3.0 blocks, and 23.0 minutes per game. He had the number one player efficiency rating in the country. Memphis is 5-1, and one, ranked 16th in the AP poll. The number two recruit in the country, it was Anthony Edwards. He's averaging 19.3 points, 6.0 rebounds, 4.0 assists, 2.8 steals in 29.0 minutes per game. Georgia is 4-0 with a win over Georgia Tech. Number three recruit, that was Isaiah Stewart. He's averaging 15.8 points, 6.6 rebounds, 2.0 blocks in 29.2 minutes per game through five games. Washington is a 4-1, playing later on tonight, ranked 25th in the AP poll. So they should move to 5-1 Sunday night. Um, with a win over San Diego unless something goes bad, bad wrong. Number four recruit, Cole Anthony. 22.8 points, 8.0 rebounds, 4.5 assists in 35.0 minutes per game. He's got UNC off to a 4-0 start, ranked fifth in the AP poll. RJ Hampton was the number five recruit. He's a professional in New Zealand. But you go on down the list, it's pretty impressive. Duke's Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley. Arizona's Nico Mannion and Zignaji. Memphis's Precious Achua and DJ Jeffries, Kentucky's Tyrese Maxey, Texas Tech's Jemias Ramsey, Auburn's Isaac Okoro, Gonzaga's, uh, Gonzaga's Drew Timmy, Villanova's Jeremiah <laughs> Robinson, Earl, Indiana's Trace Jackson Davis. They've all, um, they've all been very good for relevant teams. I know I'm missing some awesome freshmen. Feel free to tweet and tell me all about it. But Norlander, are you surprised at all that this many freshmen have been this good right from the jump? This good right from the jump, yes. 
But when I was examining, when we did our top 101 list, and then Kyle Boone and I do the Frost Watch, which will make its debut not this Tuesday, but nine days from when we're recording this, um, kind of looking at what kind of freshmen we thought would be impact players, I did think heading into the season we were going to have a, a stronger freshman class from a production standpoint than maybe was uh, being hyped up as. And part of that's a function of normally once you get past the f- top five, six, or seven guys, you're just not going to see a lot of run beyond, like, uh, you know, hyper coverage of these teams from team sites, for, uh, even from the 15th-ranked guy in a class. Now, you were definitely rolling there. And, and all the guys you mentioned, legitimately, they are making uh, big immediate impacts. What I will be interested to see is as we move along, does that sustain? Because I think it, for the most part, it probably will because normally when you have outside of a given, you know, say four to six guys in a freshman class in a given year, um, you'll see other guys kind of just ease into the groove once we get, you know, once you get into conference play, they might be getting a bit more consistent minutes and we see how freshmen um, can become more reliable, you know, on January 29th and maybe they are on November 29th. That hasn't really necessarily been the case this year. That's uh, To me, obviously, that's a fun thing. I actually like the fact that college basketball, even though I know this can be to its detriment in terms of national appeal and trying to keep up with the guys and on the teams and all that, whatever, all that stuff, get it out of my face. Um, I actually like how we are um, finding out new stories with new players here, and it, it provides just more storylines, more surprises with teams, and again, many of these teams are of top 25 caliber, which makes it all the better. Um, they're On the flip side of this, there are some high-profile freshmen who aren't off to, to great starts, and you, you saw two of them uh, Friday night in the Garden. Wendell Moore is a projected first-round pick. Um, he hasn't done a whole lot at Duke, playing 20 minutes a game, averaging eight and a half points. Um, and then Matthew Hurt mm-hmm. uh, like, got benched on Friday night against Georgetown. Is that true? Yeah. So, yes. I mean, I asked – that was the last question Shashevsky took at his press conference. I asked it. I said, Matthew Hurt didn't play a minute in the second half. Uh, why was that? And uh, he basically said, well, you know, Joey. Joey was just playing. Joey Baker was just playing a lot better. And I, and he was. You know, he Joey Baker had the best game of his career against Georgetown. Um, but there's some – in terms of how good Matthew Hurt is or isn't, I think that there is some, uh, you know, some hesitancy to kind of go there to say like he, like he's just he's not nearly as good as Vernon Carey Jr. right now. I don't think that's debatable. And uh, glad you mentioned Wendell Moore because I was sitting there next to uh, Andy Katz, uh, our buddy Rob Doster, Jeff Borzello, and I said uh, Wendell Moore. I'm just not, I'm just not seeing it. Like if Wendell Moore is is a, is a projected first round pick, uh, it's going to be a bad overall draft. I mean, maybe he can turn it around and, and certainly give him the space and time to do so. But he has not looked the part. And even in spite of that, in spite of what Matthew Hurt has not yet become, Duke has remained undefeated, and it was able to get what was you know. Uh, uh, a well-earned win, thanks to Vernon Carey Jr., who's just been awesome. I mean, he's been he's been terrific. But um, Georgetown, you know, had its run in it on Friday night, couldn't quite capitalize. But Duke is in this weird spot now, where Trey Jones has been good, Vernon Carey and Cassius Stanley have been solid. But then, um, you know, Trey's not a freshman. But then the other two freshmen have just been a little bit bumpy up and down. So you're right; it hasn't been all good returns, and nor should we expect that. I mean, that's inevitable. You take top 25 players in a given freshman class, and you're going to have usually like at least 40% of them not, you know be impact players right off the bat just so happens Duke contrasted to last season when those guys were for the most part reliable and good on a a nearly every night basis that's not quite the case this year but Duke's been able to get over despite that 
So Duke's uh, class of 2019 uh, was ranked in the top five. Um, it was third. It was behind, I guess, Memphis and Kentucky. This is pretty wild. So they're ranked undefeated, ranked number one in the country, and they've got a victory over the Big 12 favorite. What if I told you, would you believe that could be true? Because what I just said is true. Mm-hmm. If I also told you, hey, listen, here's going to be the thing with Duke through November 24th. Um, Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore are both going to be two of their best three prospects. Two of their best three incoming freshmen mm. are not going to be doing that much. Could you, would you have thought they'd be ranked number one in the country? No, definitely right. not. And that's, you know, I, I, it's a function of a couple things. No, but I, I don't think that, that that would have been the case at all. But they've they've still managed it. I mean, they they crushed Cal, and then um, they deserve to beat Georgetown, I guess. But that, and we're not going to go through the game. But Georgetown got a brutal. I mean, a great environment. So many so many log rats from Duke and Georgetown in the building. It was amazing to kind of look out and see these these guys in their sweaters, just all pumped up. But Georgetown got a brutal whistle, and I actually thought Patrick Ewing was going to get tossed. That was uh, that was some good energy. But yeah, credit to Duke for again. When you're Mike Shashevsky, though, these kind of things just they wind up happening. Okay, there's a reason why he's considered by many to be the greatest college basketball coach of all time because they still have plenty of flaws, but are still six and zero and will not face a real challenge until they go to Michigan State on December 3rd. We'll preview that down the road. But as things stand right now, you tell me Duke's playing at Michigan State the way I've seen it play for the majority of the first six games of the season. I'm telling you, Michigan State's going to win that game with a little bit of ease. All right. Before we get out of here, uh, the Maui Invitational gets started on Monday. It is a terrific event uh, just because uh, it just it's so familiar. Like, we grew up watching it, and it's still played, you know, in a little bitty uh, Civic Center. It's just when Love you it. turn it on, it feels like – it honestly, for me, it feels like Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Like ah, Thanksgiving's here because there's the Maui Invitational. Um, it's an eight-team field that's not quite as good as it was last year when I was there for the first time, and I hope not the last, uh, and watched Gonzaga upset Duke in the title game last year. Uh, year's Maui Invitational had three top ten teams: uh, Duke, Gonzaga, and Auburn, and six of the first twenty-one picks in the two thousand nineteen. NBA draft so it was excellent now again this year not as good but still good we got Michigan State and Kansas got the possible number one overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft Anthony Edwards um, but Michigan and Can- Michigan State and Kansas are the only ranked teams in the event this year so Norlander let me ask you this yeah can you reasonably imagine anything other than a Michigan State Kansas title game reasonably no impossible right. of course not um, this is the year I, uh, Parrish, I am so with you, and I know that there are literally thousands of people listening to this podcast on their Sunday nights or Monday commutes or whatever that identify with this. Be it at 2.30 in the afternoon or when you're you know, easing into uh, the evening on a, on, a, on a Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Maui, just that is the trigger to my sensors that Thanksgiving is here. I love it. I, I, just, I, I adore this tournament because how much it had an impact on me growing up and, you know, Loving college basketball all the more so because of it. And then it's just in most seasons, in most years, the tournament does deliver. Uh, and that's obviously partly because you have great coaches and great teams, obviously. But you know, there's no guarantee you get great games. Uh, Maui just has a way of doing it. Last season, it was clearly the best uh, of the uh, November-December tournaments. This year, Battle for Atlantis has that. We'll get to that later in the week. Uh, for those that might not quite remember, Battle for Atlantis kind of takes the torch from Maui, and when that ends, the other one begins here. I cannot see um, 
It's hard for me to envision anyone but Kansas and Michigan State getting there. As a reminder to listeners, if you're trying to kind of map out what we're getting here, uh, Virginia Tech-Michigan State is a quarterfinal matchup. That's the first one of the day, I believe, right? No, no, no. First one is Georgia-Dayton, um, which is intri- interesting because you've got Anthony Edwards versus Obi Toppin. They don't play the same position, but Obi Toppin out of Dayton's like he's going to get drafted in 2020. I'm, I'm getting more and more sure of that. He is an awesome, awesome player. Um, that's a toss-up game. So for the college basketball diehard, that's really good. Then you get Virginia Tech, Michigan State. Michigan State should win without too much of an issue there. Kansas will play Chaminade. Now remember, Chaminade is now on an every other year cycle with this. Uh, the purist in me loves when Chaminade's in the tournament because every blue moon they do get a, they get an upset. Um, <laughs> Chaminade beating Kansas would be uh, it's like unthinkable, but um, it'd be you know if if we get a Chaminade win, that's always a fun little thing. I like when Chaminade's in the tournament, even though the years it's not. The bracket's obviously stronger because you've got eight D one teams now. We have we have seven, and then BYU UCLA uh, get to see UCLA Mick Cronin. What are they all about? BYU still does. Have you Ellie Childs because of a BS nine game suspension? So BYU is hampered there. But I'm just intrigued to see what UCLA is. So there's still plenty to see there. But yes, bottom half of the bracket, Kansas likely to come out. Michigan State top half, and I hope that's what we get. I hope that when we talk on Wednesday, we are previewing the title game uh, between the Spartans and Jayhawks, which yes could have you know long term benefits uh, if to the winner of that. That's obviously going to be uh, a big time pelt on the wall for the victor. I mentioned Michigan State and Kansas are the only ranked teams in the field. It's even um, more drastic, the drop-off after those two, if you go by the Ken Palm ratings. Um, Michigan State's number one at Ken Palm right now. Kansas, number seven. And then the next highest-ranked team, Virginia Tech at number 42. Then That's Dayton, number, 43, number 53. Georgia, number 62. BYU, number 73. UCLA, number 104. That was um, as of early Sunday 104? evening. I'm sorry? You said UCLA is 104? 104. If you were to ask me blindly where Virginia Tech is in Ken Palm and where UCLA is, I would have said Virginia Tech's like 65, and I would have actually thought the UCLA was around 60. So that's way, way, way lower than I thought for UCLA. So to perish with what you just said, mm-hmm. UCLA is the lowest-rated Division One team in the field? Correct. Okay, my question to you, is UCLA going – so Shamanad say Shamanad loses all three. Is UCLA – they're on the same side of the bracket, so they can't. That can't even. That can't even work like that. Um, do you think UCLA will? Mm, UCLA BYU. I mean, I think that they're going to beat BYU. Now, we don't have to make picks. I'm just. I'm just surprised <laughs> by that number. Uh, that's. I'm just shocked by the number. I can't believe they're that low. Yeah. I. I. I two things on this. I can't believe UCLA. It's. It, I don't think UCLA is as bad as that number suggests. And I also don't think I don't think Virginia Tech is as good as this number suggests. I would definitely agree with that. Although Virginia Tech has looked solid to uh, to start the year, Mike Young's done a great job immediately. But this is obviously, yeah. I mean, when you play who they played, now you go and play Michigan State in Maui. It's it's definitely uh, it's a big step up. But if we get uh, Kansas, Michigan State on Wednesday in the championship game, it's like a Champions Classic consolation game. <laughs> That's a great. You know what? You're absolutely right. <laughs> It's like the third place game. That is, that's, you're right on the money with that. You're absolutely right about that. Um, hey, by the Kansas, way, Kansas lost to Duke. Champions yes. Classic. Michigan State lost to Kentucky. It's a third place. The Maui Invitational has turned into the third place Champions Classic game. That is, uh, that's too funny. By the way, on the note of Ken Palm here, uh, we don't have to get into how I had a better record with picks than you over the weekend. Like, what the listeners can figure Ooh. that out, or I'll just remind it. But how about this? How about this? You ready for this? Mm-hmm. We had the, we had the, uh, the twenty, the last game was the Sunday night game. 
between Kentucky and Lamar, and it was a 25-point spread at Ken Palm when we did the pick because we didn't have the lines there. The projected finish at Ken Palm was 82-57. The final was 81-56. So not only did it hit the 25 exactly, so that's a push for us, a win for you really, um, but just one point off on each team. That's that's absurd. That's just that's just ridiculous. So uh, while we're kind of crapping on uh, Pomeroy's rankings here for having UCLA way too low, we'll give him shouts for that. That's just crazy. Hit it 25 exact and just one point lower for each team. First off, um, speak for yourself. I would never crap on anything to do with Kimba. <laughs> 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 That's all right, so okay. don't bring me into that. Okay. If you want the updated uh, picks on the season, uh, we pick five games every Friday. We're trying to figure out what to call it exactly. Somebody suggested uh, the final four and one to play off the top 25 and one. I like that, but that might be because I just like anything that brings attention to stuff like this. Final four and one? The final four and one. Uh, how about this? How about Okay, how about this? I'm good with that, but how about this? What do you think about mm. this? Let's, let's, let's hash this out in real time. You pick four, and then I have the and one. So Ooh, okay, okay. So okay, you don't do know that. which one I will get. Like I won't know the four. That, like I, and once we get to like the rhythm, like I know that two of the four at least will be like kind of the high profile games. But I won't know the four you're going to provide, and then you won't know the one that I will provide. How about that? Deal. Final, final four and one. It's the final four and one, and you get to pick uh, one game that we have to pick. So if you want the updated picks numbers, it's um, Norlanders now eight six and one. And I'm five nine and one. I had a rough weekend. <laughs> it's it's okay. First of all, first okay. Before we get out of here, actually, I did want to talk about this real quick. It just oh, I, insulting, no, no, no. insulting to Kermit Davis. Okay, five oh. points. I don't even care about that BS three pointer at that. It doesn't matter for our purposes. There, it was insulting. A five point spread, never in doubt. Old Miss to cover the five. You were in the building. I told you, and you rode Memphis, and you rude the day. Uh, you know Memphis was up 16, by the way. Okay, I actually, I actually did not know. <laughs> Memphis was up 16. Uh, this was actually wild. Okay, so Memphis was up 16. The number actually closed at minus four. I had friends who had it Memphis minus four. So it's a two-point game. No, it's a three-point game. Let me make sure I've got this It's right. a four-point. No, it, yeah, no, it's a four-point game, right? When you hit the it's a it's a uh, it's a three point game, late. Okay, Ole Miss is coming down five six seconds to go. Brian Tyree's got the ball. Memphis does the foul up three thing. Yeah, except go watch it. He was shooting motion. They got away with one man. Kermit lost his mind. He handled it properly after the game. He was like, somebody asked Kermit about it. Like, did you think Brian was in the shooting motion? And he was like, that's. I'll let Brian answer that. <laughs> and so Brian Tyree, Game of Thrones character, of course, right. he says, um, I was, he said, I heard their coaching staff yell foul, foul, foul. Mm. So when I heard them yell foul, 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 I went to shoot it. And so, yes, I was shooting it, but it was a bang, bang. And I'll give Penny credit, too, and the Memphis players, Alex Lomax, because they were like, yeah, we, Penny was like, I was nervous. Like, you know, and Alex Lomax was like, I messed up. You know, Alex actually said, I messed up. So everybody sort of conceded, oh, boy, that Memphis got away with one there. So anyway, Brian then goes to the free throw line, makes one to cut it to a two-point game, misses the next one. Memphis rebounds, throws it out to DJ Jeffries, who's, who, who's uh, in transition all alone. He dunks with like a second left to make it four. 
So if you've got Memphis minus four, you've just like miraculously got a push out of this deal. That's Ole Miss inbounds, inbounds, shot at the buzzer, banked in three to make it a one-point game, and now it's a loss. The most, and the thing is, like if you haven't seen it, well, first of all, this is going to be on Van Pelt's bad beats Monday night. That's a that's I figure that's a lock, but it is the most <laughs> like. The, if you, this is why you don't gamble because it Paris, it is the most like uh yep up uh, shooting like casual just like half court whatever I don't give an f and it's just like it's just the smack off the backboard just a smack across your face if you had the other number insulting and yes uh, an incredible bad beat if you're on the wrong side of it. Okay, back to the Maui Invitational real quick because yep. I worked hard on this trivia time. <laughs> oh yeah, you had another one. Fire it at me. Fire it at me. Okay. I don't even know why I started looking at this, but I started looking at it, and then I just saw it, and then I, I, I said, that'll be a good trivia time. Hey, hold on. Before you say this, I want to know mm-hmm. if we're on the same wavelength on something, okay? I don't want to mm-hmm. – are you going to ask me – this is just a shot in the dark, okay? There, you have no chance of guessing what I'm actually going to ask. Zero chance? Zero chance. Okay, because here's what, here's what my thought is off the top of my head. I thought maybe you would ask me – um, what teams in the field also have won the Maui bracket and Dayton's in the field, and I'm almost positive Dayton has won one Maui tournament before. I, I, I can't speak to that. That's okay, not all right, all right, fire it, fire it at me. Okay. How many Maui Invitational MVPs what? are current college head coaches? Oh, my gosh. First of all, I'll answer the question, and then we'll get the hell out of here, but... How did you even get to this point? Okay, this is how my this this will be a little um, insight into how my my mind works and how I end up preparing for radio and the podcast all the time. So I'm going to actually I thought um, and we we can do it on Wednesday's podcast if we want, but like the Maui Invitation was such a staple of college basketball. Like we literally, you know, I mean. It grew up, I guess I was already a teenager when it launched, but like it has been a part of my entire adult life. You know, I, there is, I don't think there's ever been a time where I haven't either been at the Maui Invitation or watched it on TV. Not every game, but, but it's, I see it with my eyes every November. And so we all have memories. And I was like, what are, what are my favorite Maui moments, Maui memories, Maui tournaments, like performances? And so I went to like a list of all the Maui performances and I just started looking at the MVPs. And then I, popped on Adam Morrison, who was the MVP of the 2005 Maui Invitational. Right. And classic. that is probably, it's a classic. That's because yes, yes. it's the coming out party for Adam Morrison. Like he was not Adam Morrison entering that year. And then he's got the long hair, he's got the mustache, and he goes to Maui. He beat Maryland, Gonzaga does in the first game, 88-76. He gets 25-9. and And then the semifinal, Michigan State. It's a 109-106 three overtime game. Adam gets 43 and 7. Yes. In that one, Gonzaga wins it. Maurice Ager goes, he gets seven three-pointers, finishes with 36 points. It's a classic Maui Invitational game. And then they go to the title game and they lose to Yukon 65-63, but Adam got 18 and 5 in that one and was named the MVP. And it was interesting. So last year was my first year going going to Maui. And I'm in the media room. And guess who's like sitting right next to me? Good old Adam, Adam Morrison. Adam Morrison, because he now does color for Gonzaga Radio, and I actually know Adam um, a little bit. But we <laughs> total <laughs> in a total like random night. He and I and Dan Dickow went out in Spokane. <laughs> it was like the weirdest. Night. It was like I ended up. I, I Blake in, Step didn't want in. Like uh, uh, no, Blake Step was not there. It was totally random. It was like. <laughs> 
I was at Fuse, Mark Fuse's house on a night before a game. It was a Friday night. They're playing Illinois the next night. And <laughs> Mark's like, well, just come on over. I'm just, he was like literally playing go fish with his ki- like four-year-old at the kitchen table. He's like, come on over, play cards with us. I thought maybe they're playing cards. It was actually a go fish game with a four-year-old. So we sit down and then Dan Dickow comes over. And I think I knew Dan a little bit. And he was like, I'm going out. And Mark's like, I can't go out. I'm, I'm with kids. And Dan's like, well, just won't you just roll with me? And I said, sure. And then he was like, we'll call Adam. And I was like, Adam? He's like, yeah, Adam Morrison. I was like, okay, cool. That'll be cool. And so he calls Adam. And next thing you know, me and Adam and Dick are out all night long. So I got to know Mark, uh, Adam a little bit. I promise this isn't just like some humble brag story. Um, but I'm sitting with him as worlds collide. Uh, just, you know, everything. I'm sitting with him last year. And it just sort of occurs to me. Here's Adam Morrison back in Maui for the first time mm. since then. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, this is where it all started. Like, where he became a college basketball icon. Everybody will remember Adam Morrison forever. It happened right there in that building. And so he and I talked briefly uh, about that. So, uh, so anyway, I'm looking at all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And as I'm looking at the MVPs and I see Adam Morrison, I just start looking at the MVPs. And I see an, another name, and I go, "Oh wow, that's, I didn't, I don't remember him being the MVP, but he's a college coach now." And I was like, "I wonder how many college coaches have actually been Maui Invitational MVPs." And I went through the whole list, and I, I found the number. That's how that happened. Okay, um, classic Paris there. Uh, how how many how many coaches are we at? Just so I know, um, how many? You, you, like, so you okay? Ma- I'll give you the number, then you try to name them. Okay, because I I okay. don't like I, yeah. Are we at yeah. two? Are we at the, nine? Like, the number's four. There have been four um, Maui Invitational MVPs who have gone on, who are current college head coaches. Okay, and I know that the tournament is now one, two. It's 34 years old because I wrote a piece for Sports on Earth on the 30th anniversary in 2014. So we're going back to like early 80s. It started in 1984. Boom! Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, thirty-five. Yeah, thirty-five years old now. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, so I did grow up with it. It started when I was seven years old. There we go. Seventeen. That's right. Um, <laughs> okay. So I'm get the fact you asked this. I, I, is Bobby Hurley one? Of, I mean, I just saw the guy today. Is Bobby Hurley one of them? That's great. I was going to tell you, you just saw one of them today. Bobby so Hurley is one of them. He was 1992 co MVP. And coincidentally, co MVP. He was a co MVP of the Maui Invitational in 1992. But I no believe that is one of only two times that there. No, it's three times. One of three times that there have been co MVPs. Uh, one time, this is weird. So if you look at it, you go to 1987. I don't even know what this means. In the, you look at tournament MVP. So like one year, like 1985, it's Dale Curry. 1986 is Will Purdue. 1987, it's the entire Iowa team. <laughs> you know it. Okay, so one of my MVP. guesses is Steve Alford. Uh, uh, I guess. Well, what do you mean? You guess he's on that team and he got it. Does he not count? Steve Alford. He played for the Iowa team in '87. That. No, wait, no, I'm I'm actually out of my mind. He played for <laughs> <Yes>. Indiana. <laughs> I'm like, he coached uh, Iowa. He didn't, he didn't play for Iowa. Oh, my gosh. He coached Iowa. Oh, my gosh. He played for Indiana. What am I doing? 
That's your 75%. Oh, oh that's horrendous. Um, you were, <laughs> first of all, you were, you were going to accept my answer as correct there for a good well, 10 I seconds. Well, like, I was like, hell, man. I, I, honestly, as I'm thinking, I'm like, well, maybe Albert transfer for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Yes, he played for Indiana. He coached Iowa, so he would not have been. The entire Iowa team. The, first the of all, entire, hold on, hold on. The entire Iowa team got the MVP? The entire 1987-88 uh, Iowa team. Um, got got the uh, MVP that year. Um, Tom Davis was the head coach. It looks like um, looks like BJ Armstrong was on that team. BJ, yeah, shouts to BJ Armstrong. There we yeah. go. Future and guess who, tri- trivia time. Guess who was uh, the lead assistant on that Iowa team when the entire team was named MVP of the Maui Invitational? <laughs> First of all. It's an absurd impromptu trivia time. We're in the middle of a trivia time. We just we just <laughs> inceptioned trivia, ourselves. Trivia time. The lead assistant on Iowa in eighty seven, eighty eight. Does does is it relevant to someone coaching in this year's tournament? He's an SEC coach right now. Head coach. Bruce Pearl. Bruce Pearl. Boom. Exactly. Okay. There he- Okay, uh, so now we're back. Uh, this is okay. So we know which four coaches have been Maui Invitational uh, uh, MVPs, and now they're current head coaches. In '92, yeah, you said it was a co, but there's yeah, no one else MVP, that was on that Duke team. That's other, a, that's the a other co- MVP. The other MVP in the 1992 event is also just like Bobby Hurley, now a current head coach. Right, but there's no one else on that Duke team. There's no one else on the Duke team that's a head coach. Because one of the co-MVPs was not from Duke. It was from one of the losing teams, but he was so amazing that oh. they made him a co-MVP. Okay. Um, Adam Morrison was on a losing team, but that's was right. the MVP. All right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm yeah. just thinking that, that, that Hurley was like awesome with Grant Hill or something. Um, ah, just 92? Who was awesome in 92 that's a head coach? Uh, Let me give you a hint. Yeah, give me because this is I'm having fun with this. But we're going on like I yeah, and, and the hint we'll get it immediately. You watched one of the co MVPs coach today. Yes. I watched the other coach yesterday. Penny Hardaway. Yeah, it was Penny Bobby Hardaway. Hardaway. Wow. Okay. So, Bobby Hurley and Penny Hardaway co MVPs in 1992. There huh. are two more. Are they are they after 92? Yes. One was in 93. One was in 97. One is currently coaching in the Atlantic Ten. The other one's coaching in the Big East. This is a this is a this is a this is one of your top five trivia times ever. By the <laughs> way, this is fantastic. A ten, Big East. So current A ten coaches. Hold on, it's not it's it's not Aaron McKee. Um, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. It's not McKillop. It's not. It's definitely not Mike Rhodes. Dude, can you imagine Bob McKillop winning the Maui Invitation <laughs> MVP in 93? It'd be like 50. <laughs> what, if a, what if a 50-year-old Bob McKillop won the MVP in 1993? <laughs> it's not David Cox. It's not uh, – man. Um, it's not LaSalle's coach. Hey, okay, I'm going to tell you – Come on, no, I'm tr- I want to get it. I want to okay, get it. Hold you. on, I'm going through the league. It's not Chris Mooney. Uh, it's, no way it's Chris Mooney. Um <laughs> Hold on. As soon as the name pops in your head, you'll go, okay, of course it's him. Hold on. Um, Do me tell you where he played? I like the awkward pause. Uh, No. All right, fine. Tell me where he played. 
He's okay. In 1993, the MVP uh, was uh, a Kentucky player who now coaches in the Atlantic 10. That's Travis Ford. Correct. Come and on. In, 19, <laughs> Gosh. in, 19, in 1997, the MVP um, was a Duke player who now coaches in the Big East. Oh, that's Wojo. Yeah. Yeah, that's Wojo. Okay. Here's your four. Bobby Hurley, Penny huh. Hardaway, Travis Ford, and Steve Wojciechowski. And just for um, a, <laughs> more useless information, <laughs> like it doesn't get more useless than that, Jason Hart, who's now an assistant at USC, is also a former um, Maui Invitational MVP. Syracuse. That was 1998. He, of course, was at Syracuse. Yes, Jason Hart, yes. Or, or, or Iowa, who knows? Yeah, or maybe Iowa. <laughs> There's, there are many people who uh, could well have played at Iowa. I'm giving credit to a lot of people. You, I think, actually, you played at Iowa as well there, Parrish, But <laughs> I uh, might have played. All right, before we get out of here, I yeah. told you every um, uh, Sunday we were going to, because we encourage people to go to Apple Podcasts and, and rate and review uh, the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast. And I thought maybe, just maybe, if we uh, uh, told people, hey, we're going to pull one of these reviews out uh, every Sunday, it would encourage people to like actually go and subscribe and rate and review. And it, 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 it appears that it has worked. Loving so it. shouts to you guys. And today's review um, that we will highlight comes from Matt thirty Matt 33341. Matt 33341. Here's what Matt wrote. Made my made my heart feel good. He said, "Only I only started seriously following college basketball two years ago, and a lot of that was due to finding this podcast. College basketball is not a 365-day-a-year sport, but these guys do a great job of always being interesting and always being a good listen. I now never miss an episode. Highly recommend it to the diehard college basketball fan as well as the casual fan. That's nice, right? Matt, thank you for that. And if you're yeah. the kind of listener that wants your own shout-out on the podcast, you can make that happen by writing something inspirational, funny, creative on the Apple Podcast Review page. I will also give a shout-out. I did not get the gentleman's name, but there was a Virginia uh, alumnus who actually came down and found me during halftime of the game today, uh, specifically came down to find me to say that he absolutely loves the podcast. I told him we'd have it to him before Sunday night's over. So, sir, didn't get your name, but thank you for coming and saying hello. And I love this little segment. We encourage everyone, rate and, uh, and definitely review. We like giving the shout-outs here every Sunday. That was an awesome little addition to the pod by GP. And I also want to take a second to thank Evan for leaving a super, super nice comment. I didn't read it only because it's so kind, directed at me, that if I read it, I would sound just as narcissistic as people tell me I am. So I can't, I can't even bring myself to read it. But I did want him to know that I read it and, and, and sincerely appreciated it. It made me smile. And, and congrats, Evan, uh, uh, if you listen on getting that journalism degree in a few weeks. Happy for you. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. Shouts to Matt33341. Shouts to Evan. And remember, please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Um, yes, it helps us, but it also is good for you guys. It is the best way to ensure you get the episodes as soon as possible. They just, boom, go right to your phone. So please go subscribe while you're there. Rate it favorably. Five stars. Nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. Knock that out, and we will talk to you again on Wednesday. Till then, take care. My name is Connor Tapp, and I'm here with Trey Scott, my co-host on the College Football Daily, a podcast from 24-7 Sports dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. Every Monday through Friday, from here to eternity, we are adding depth and context to the biggest headlines in college football. 
but we're also diving deep into topics like the Iowa Hawkeyes' secret sauce for developing NFL linemen and what the era of big money conference TV networks means for schools like Boise State. So if you share our point of view that college football has no offseason, subscribe to the College Football Daily now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.